So today um, I'm interviewing uh, Aaron Longbottom, the uh, the manager, team leader of the St Vincent's Homeless um, Health Unit um, in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. Um, so where this is the first uh, interview of the Courage to Lead interview series um, and why we've done started this series in a world where people are disillusioned with the leaders who are bulldozers, um, who lack integrity, who promote their mates, uh, who exclude others. Um, the Courage to Lead interview series seeks to find people who have the courage to lead in a different way. Um, that is uh, a leadership style that is empowering to others, that's supportive and inclusive um, to the so there's no limits to that kind of leadership. The first person that uh, our series seeks to interview is, is pretty a, a person who I believe um, emulates this leadership style. It's Aaron Longbottom. So Aaron, as I've said, is the, is the manager, team leader of the St Vincent's Homeless Health Unit in Sydney, New South Wales. Erin um, has done this for a number of years. Uh, she's received, she's been interviewed several times by people better than me, um, and she's received a number of awards from members of parliament uh, and from her peers. And if you probably, Erin, I'll, I'll hand it over to you straight away. Um, what are some of those awards, and, and have I got your title right? Can you can you explain what you do? Well, I haven't received any awards from Parliament, but thank you very much for, for assuming that. It's very kind of you. Um, I, the awards I have received um, recently are the Leadership Award um, for St Vincent's Hospital Nurses. So I won that award in 2020, uh, of the year of the nurse and midwife in the middle of COVID. Um, and so I was really, really proud to, to receive the Hospital Leadership Award, um, which Congratulations. Was, was really special. Yeah, yeah. And then the other award that I received recently was um, the CEO's Award as well in 2021. Um, and that was um, the nursing buckle that, that we get. And it was an um, award but from the CEO for being a little bit like those incredible nuns that founded our hospital and going out there and being, um, I guess, prepared to live the mission and values of the hospital and, and advocate for, for vulnerable people. Thanks. So, yeah, the, so, and I think a lot of uh, COVID response that we provided as a homeless health service um, really is what... Um, won those awards as it were and I think much of those awards were really about the work of my team as well as me so really acknowledge that. Congratulations on those awards I mean I saw them on on social media and they're outstanding um, so well done to you and to your team because I I, I, I I love the fact that you um, acknowledge that it's not just you it's your team. So Erin um, do you want to just uh, give us a little bit of your backstory um, about how you, like, uh, I've heard you interview before um, and you, you actually used to be a, an intensive care unit nurse um, and you've ultimately chosen to be the leader of the, it's probably not the most glamorous unit, but I think when I hear you talk, it's a, the most um, fulfilling unit that you could probably lead. So how did Aaron Longbottom come to be the the leader of the homelessness unit for St Vincent's Hospital. 
Well, I think it's a nice glamorous unit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so the I think um, I've always been a person that really loves people, and I think I think you know because you've obviously heard some of my story before. I grew up in a religious, um, fundamental Christian church, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of drive within those those churches to, to help people, as it were, which is a word that I really don't love, yeah. um, helping people, I would say, because it's so much more than that. But that's what you, you sort of, you know, you do. Um, it's very mission-focused, and, and a lot of it is about going overseas and, and supporting um, people in other countries. And I think what I didn't really realise, because I didn't have the exposure or knowledge, is that there was a lot of people that we can actually help here in Australia. And that were, that is just as much, if not more, fulfilling. But I feel like a lot of people get so caught up in the fact that we have to go and help people from other countries and sort of a bit of a white saviour complex missionary vibe. I just realised that that's not where I want to head, even though I thought about it a lot as I was growing up. And I think... Um, I felt like I floated around a lot, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I did spend a little bit of time volunteering in Africa and doing some things like that. And then I eventually moved to Sydney and I joined a church here that was, um, uh, you know, sort of involved in some um, local volunteering activities in, in some of the more disadvantaged areas of Sydney. And I got to know many of the people that live in the big uh, towers and um, Waterloo and Redfern and, and Surrey Hills and was really struck by the incredible people that lived in them that I'd never really known before because I've lived a very, very privileged life, I would say, and always had um, a lot of, you know, I guess resources and education and money at my disposal so I didn't really have the awareness um, of what poverty looked like and then I think when I met the people that lived in the towers I just had this huge sort of awakening moment that um, there was a lot that could be done here to actually support people but they were also this amazing wonderful colourful community um, and that took me a little while because I think you process that it's sort of you know you go through a bit of a process and at that time I was also I guess uh, coming out to my family and there was a lot of other things going on and I think that's when I got the job uh, I saw the job come up with the homeless health service and I think I'd been working for about um, two years here at St Vincent's Hospital in the intensive care unit and I absolutely loved the unit and I loved what I was doing but I just think I was getting a little bit burnt out because it was really heartbreaking. Um, did a lot of transplant work and and I think I just had this really sad case and I just thought, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I was looking for something else to do and then I found this job and, and I obviously got a job as a nurse on the team um, first up and, yeah, here I am. So um, you went from... <laughs> from intensive care that was a really hard job and then you went to the really easy job of trying to solve homelessness. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, but there's more, there's, like, there's more hope 
there really is i think there's more hope here there's more room for 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 actual change i think whereas in intensive care often you know people are really in the most desperate and difficult times of their lives in a different way you know that or you know almost just at at the point of death as it were and and often you know we we save many lives but we often don't as well and that's really can be really hard okay so um so that was how long ago was that that you joined so you were in icu for two years how long ago did you join the saint vincent's homeless health team as a nurse uh february 2013 2013. okay so what explain to like this we don't know where this um interview will end up uh so you know as in who will listen to it i know what you do but just just describe to a listener that might be in england um what does the saint vincent's homeless health team do so we are a multi-specialty service so we we're a team of different types of clinical staff members and non-clinical staff members we also have um, peer workers on the team and Aboriginal health workers as well. Um, and we, uh, so our, our aim is to improve um, people's access to healthcare that are experiencing homelessness. So what we do is we go out onto the street and we meet people where they sleep and we meet, or we meet people, um, and when I say we meet people where they sleep, it could be on the street, it could be in crisis accommodation, it could be in a refuge. Um, and or we meet people where they spend their days. So, for example, where they do their laundry, where they eat, where they shower. Um, and we try and support them to, um, I guess, um, improve their health and well-being. So it's really very much client-led. So we try and um, support people with what they want support with. And sometimes it might not be health-related. Sometimes it might be other things and then health comes later but we really try and um you know it's really about just building trust and rapport and being consistent and persistent and providing the support that people need and trying to improve health equity okay so when you say um you you're you know i think you said you had clinical and non-clinical and peer related people in your team what's a normal day when your team goes out to to meet and you and I know know the term as rough sleeper or like someone that's homeless um, at any one of those locations you said, what's a normal day? Who's on your team to go and help these people? So, for example, we might... So every day we do an early morning um, patrol with housing. Every day? Every day? Yeah, every day, yeah. And there might be a clinician and an Aboriginal health worker or a clinician and a peer worker on that patrol with housing and they will go walk around the city. Uh, we'll go every day, we'll choose a different hotspot location and go and um, offer housing support and health support to people who are sleeping rough. So is, and a, then often they, is a clinician sorry. a nurse or a doctor? Um, it could be a nurse, a doctor, a mental health clinician, or um, a you know, like a social worker, some other allied health worker as well. Okay. Um, so what's that look like? What, how, how do you go out in your nurse's uniform and you're in a big Mark St. Vincent's uh, hospital van or what do you look like? 
Definitely mm. not. We go incognito. So we obviously want to make people feel comfortable and safe. So we don't go in any kind of uniform. Um, and But what we do do is when we meet someone, we introduce ourselves and where we're from. And you now we all kind of know each other. They they know that um, looking at us generally, who we are and where we're from, we have a very strong presence on the streets. So a lot of the time we know most of the people that are around and about. And we, Or if there are new people, we quickly identify them and get them linked in with the service. Okay. So since you started in 2013 and we're now in 2022, what... Um, what kind of changes, improvements, how has that, how has the St Vincent's Homeless Health Team evolved or has it always been similar? No, we've really, we've probably almost tripled in size, um, if not more. We've, we've got a whole range of other services. Um, obviously in 2015, 16, um, I became the nursing unit manager of the service um, and throughout the years I think we've become much more we've developed as a service we've become much more responsive we've grown we're doing research we have lots of different types of teams because we obviously identify gaps and we try and um, put services into place that will support people with health in those areas so you have really really expanded and grown and I'm really proud of the service. Good. So when you say you've tripled in size, um, how many people work for, how many people are you in charge of? So I am in charge of um, one of the teams um, and all of the nurses, as it were. So the um, it's a bit of a complex beast explaining yeah. the homeless health service, but we do have a range of different teams. Um, and I manage the homeless outreach team. So that's the team that provides intake for the service and generally does the street outreach and a lot of the, you know, if you were to come into the homeless health service, we would be the team that you would first meet. Okay. And then branching off from that, we have a case management team, we have an assessment team, we have um, the residential services as well. Uh, so, you know, it's quite a few different um, sort of arms of that, of the service. All right, good stuff. Um, so can you give us a, an example of, um, of say, in the last couple you, you, you started this interview with some uh, the, the COVID response from, required some flexibility, some greater needs for vulnerable people, um, and that kind of resulted in the awards that, that um, you were nominated and received for. Can you give us a couple of case studies of what a normal day uh, would look like for the homeless health team um, from St Vincent's and and what that looks like for for an individual on the street, just so that the, our audience can um, understand what impact your work has. Well, I have a favourite story I would love to tell you. So probably one of my um, most um, heartwarming stories from the pandemic, which... I think would not have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic potentially. Yep. Um, but right at the beginning, I think when the first lockdown happened, um, we were really, we increased our outreach um, a lot because obviously we were trying to make sure people were safe and putting people into hotels and um, we we're working really closely with the housing team. Mm -hmm. And 
we were getting flags from different agencies um, saying, can you come and look at this person? We're really worried about them. Can you go see that person? And so one day we received a flag for a gentleman who was sleeping in um, a park that wasn't in our usual sort of um, circuit that we do. It was, he was really isolated. So he was sleeping um, sort of on the borders almost of, of where we normally do our work, yeah. which is the city of Sydney, local government area. And we thought, okay, we'll go out to see him. So a couple of my team members went out to check on him and make sure he was okay because he'd sort of declined to engage with anyone and the local council were worried about him because they were concerned he had sort of poor mental health and that he was he just needed a bit of extra health support so we went out and we went with a nurse and a peer worker and the nurse and the peer worker went out to visit him and sort of had a bit of a chat with him and then just said you know if you want accommodation at the moment you don't have to worry about having id or you know we can um housing are providing outside of guidelines ta we're trying to keep people safe and he said oh no 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 and they said, well, would you consent to us coming back just in a couple of days? Is there anything we can bring you? And, and he said, yes. And so gradually, you know, uh, uh, over a sort of a week to two weeks, they went to see him a few times and they took him belongings and they just sort of provided some really sort of gentle, consistent, persistent outreach and brought him things that he needed. And he was living in a tent by himself, didn't really have any other support, made sure he had food because all the food services had closed because of COVID. And eventually when one day when they went out, he accepted going into accommodation. And for people who know housing, I guess it's just for your awareness, you need to have ID, you need bank statements. Usually there's a lot of uh, documentation that you need to get into any kind of accommodation um, and he had none of it he had nothing he just had a bag mm. um, he'd lost all of his ID yeah. but because it was COVID they were providing just putting people into hotels under an emergency response mm. so he was able to go into a hotel and as they were uh, sort of talking to him about it, they said, look, we'll pick you up tomorrow because he said, I don't want to go today, but I'll, if you come back and get me tomorrow, I'll, I'll go tomorrow. They said, is there anything that we can do for you, um, you know, over and above what, uh, you know, with, you know, food and clothing and everything else that we've gotten? But he said, look, I, I'd really like to see my mum, but I've lost contact with her because it's been so long since I've seen her. And so... And they asked him if they could sort of look her up. And so what they did is they, um, the actually was the council guys, um, Googled her name and found her on Facebook and sent a message with his consent, sent a message to her saying, you know, is, this is your son. He really wants us to reach out to you. would love to see you. Um, I know you've been estranged for many years. Yeah. And anyway, she replied within about 60 seconds saying, oh, wow. yes. <laughs> I really, well, you know, absolutely overjoyed that wow. um, that reached out. Yeah, and so he, by this time, had already gone to the hotel. And so one of our peer workers went down to the hotel and spoke to him about it and said, look, are you happy if we tell her where you are? Um, they want to come and see you. The whole family wants to come and see you. Wow. Um, yeah, and he'd been a missing person. Okay. Um, how, and how, so, old is, how old is this man? 
Yeah. How uh, old is he? 40. Okay. Where? Where? Yeah. And obviously we'd done a bit of work getting him linked in for his mental health and made sure that he'd got um, ID and, you know, he, everything was sort of underway with his housing and everything. So we'd been doing quite a bit of work around that. And he, anyway, his family jumped in a car and literally drove to Sydney overnight mm. um, from regional New South Wales. And he, um, and I think it was a really amazing experience for the hotel staff. So I don't know if you know, but during um, COVID, people were put into really sort of quite nice hotels, sort of three to four star hotels yeah. um, that were empty because there was no international travel. Yeah. Uh, and so that it was obviously a bit of an eye-opening experience for some of the hotel staff. <laughs> anyway, the the family, and so we, we obviously supported him because we wanted to make sure he was okay. Because often with our clients, they have really sad stories and a lot of um, sort of difficult relationships with their family. So we just stayed with them to support him. And But it was absolutely beautiful, like the, the peer worker and um, the nurse and then the um, his family were just like it was just incredible like it was the most moving experience and the hotel staff it was the best experience for them they just absolutely were overjoyed that they could also help that to happen yeah yeah and he moved home with his family and wow um, how long you been how long you been how long you been homeless for uh i think it had been over 10 years oh my god yeah okay. i hadn't seen him i don't think over 10 years yeah. wow so just so this probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID because there would have been no way that he could have accessed accommodation. Yeah. And you know, been in the space to actually um you know, being been able to make that connection with his family. But your team, um and you were involved with it, um, changed his life. Yeah, well the yeah, and the other agencies too. We yeah. can't forget about them. They also, you know, it was a collaborative effort. And we That's what we do. I guess we all work together to try and achieve these outcomes for people. Let's um, let's explore that in a minute, actually, because I think that's the strength of what you do, um, is is it's not just you on your own. Like a, like a, a nurse, uh, a, a team from a hospital can't achieve everything that you had just achieved in that story. Mm. Um, and I can just see... Uh, from for the listeners, um, this is an audio today. But uh, if you could see the joy on Erin's face as she recounts that story, I think that's why you do it, <laughs> really. Uh, so, and hats off to all of you involved in that. Let's just—I um, want to kind of unpack a couple of things there. So, let's go straight into that. Actually, the the, collab- the collaboration. So, what what? Um, how do you achieve? The collaboration, uh, the the willingness to work with your partners to achieve an outcome like that. How 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 did you how have you done that? Because I think you when I started working for the homeless health service, um, my role was a nurse, and my role was a nurse that worked between the homeless health service and an NGO. And I hadn't really had that much experience working with an NGO before. So an NGO uh, for someone that doesn't know oh, that language? Sorry. Yeah, non-government organisation. Yeah. So funded by the state government to provide support for people experiencing homelessness, but not a government service as, as such. Yeah. So the I actually developed very, very strong relationships with the service, which was 
called Way to Home. It's a service of Nemo National, and yes. they. Yeah. Um, I worked probably clo- more closely with their their team and did a lot of street outreach with them, uh, and that. I feel like that's what really helped me see the value of partnership and the fact that we all needed had a part to play, that we had to talk, you know, we had to collaborate to be able to provide the best care for people. Yeah. And I think that's really where I started, but also to, like, I really do love people. So that doesn't just limit it to clients and my team. It's also other people too, yeah. like you, yeah. you know, like, getting people like you or, you know, incredible people that you um, meet and engage with and build connections with in your journey, that's really important as well. And I think, yeah, I feel very, very lucky to work in the homelessness sector because there is so many incredible people that you meet. Definitely draws out the best people, I think. (laughs) Sorry, just um, just let me get rid of this thing. Sorry. Um, Well, I think just a bit of... um housekeeping there it's gonna this zoom meeting is going to end in 10 minutes i'll renew it after that um so that's the collaboration part of it is 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 really the so how who did you you talked about housing so is that with the the nemi service or is that someone else uh housing is the department of communities and justice so that's the state government okay they yeah so actual housing um, we do do patrols with NEMI, but we do the most with actual with the actual housing team, the uh, Department of Communities and Justice team. Okay. So, how do you? Um, has it always been happy sailing with the with the people you work with, or have you had some challenging times where you've had to work through issues to to work to to work together, or is it, have you got any examples of how you've um, smoothed out? disputes or or you've always worked together well no i think it's challenging because at times because you all do have your own priorities and needs and i guess expectations from your organizations of targets and things you need to achieve so it's not always smooth sailing um i think probably my most um challenging i think it's quite challenging at times working um, for different organisations for different reasons. But I think um, sometimes, and, you know, it can be really frustrating working um, within the, I guess, real kind of restrictions that housing have. Yeah. And sometimes that can be really challenging to maintain, especially when my team um, get frustrated about certain things that happen. Yeah. Um, the homelessness team are great, but sometimes it, it, it's not necessarily them. It's just more, um, it's just such a rigid system. Yeah. And that can be quite challenging at times to manage those relationships when you know how, you know, um, vulnerable someone is and how much support they need and yet they can't get it. And yeah. that, that can be very challenging to, to manage. And also too, for my team, you know, it can be really disheartening and, that's where really good self-care and ensuring we're able to have really good avenues to feedback and and strong relationships from leaders of the different services to be able to create change. And we have. We have created a lot of change over the years in those rigid systems. It's still a work in progress, but it's really incredible, I think, the government's willingness to continue to try to, to improve. And I think 
um, we'll get there hopefully. There's, there's hope there. So you just you've kind of you're just segueing beautifully into what you do as a leader. I think in in your role with other leaders um, that want to empower and create um, well-being for the people you the vulnerable people you look after. How do you can you give us any, some examples of how together with other leaders you have actually changed the system to to benefit people so they can get houses they can live they can live somewhere so i think one of the most um amazing um achievements that we have there's quite a few actually i could talk about it forever but i think some of the things i'm really proud of one of them is i don't think the government would credit me with this but i think we all were there when this started but we and you were there when this started actually Ellen, but when we were working in the inner city and we couldn't do housing with people on the street and we knew that people weren't able to get off the street um and what we needed to do was actually bring people from housing onto the street to work with people sleeping rough yeah um because it just wasn't working sending them to an office. Uh, it was so challenging. Like the barriers were extreme for people sleeping rough. It was almost impossible to exit homelessness. And because really what we needed to be doing is creating like these real tailored responses to people and ensuring they had access and people didn't have access. And so when we started the Heart, which is the homeless assertive response team which was the collaboration of agencies that work with people sleeping rough in the inner city that do outreach and case care provide care coordination for people sleeping rough we right at the beginning um had this amazing leader within the department of communities and justice and he saw this and we all advocated for it we talked about it at length and he wrote a proposal to have a team of people who would not work in the housing office, but they would come out of the housing office and work with people where they slept on the street. Mm. Now we have that team. Yeah. So now like, it's absolutely incredible because we didn't have that before and they, they do such an amazing job, this team of outreach housing workers. They um, work with people where they're at. They will, you know, go above and beyond and they'll, they patrol twice a day to, to meet people where they are and make sure that they have access to, I guess, the housing system um, and try and reduce as many barriers as possible. And, that, and, that's, and that's a great example of how you, as a leader, working with other leaders in this homelessness space, have changed a bureaucratic system to benefit those that need it the most. It's a, great, it's a beautiful yeah, example, actually. So, exactly. Yeah. Before the break, we just had a bit of a break there. Um, so you were talking about some of the the changes you've brought about um, in the system. So you talked about the the heart, the homeless assertive response team, and how housing changed what they did. Is there another example? Um, that well, what what happened? Say in COVID, did was that were you behind that where they opened up motels, like three or four star motels for? Rough sleepers. <laughs> well, like I can't claim, I can't add that to my claim to fame. I think there was a lot of people working really hard on that response. Um, I was just one of the many people who advocated for it to happen. I think, but I think the other, um, that there was a couple of things that we, that my team and I advocated for through COVID that were really successful. Mm -hmm. um, there were two sort of cohorts of people who 
weren't able to access the hotels um, during COVID because they were, um, uh, you know, they weren't eligible for government support. And one of them was people who were sleeping rough who had a tenancy because they had a tenancy, so they weren't eligible for hotels to go into a hotel or yep. temporary accommodation. And so um, it was actually a lot of we again we um, I worked really closely with the local council around this, but we built together a list of people. We took it to the department of Communities and Justice, they sort of had a look at it, we had a meeting with them and eventually they did their own internal advocacy and um, which is really amazing and they formed a whole new team of people that were dedicated to supporting people sleeping rough that had a tenancy. Okay. Um, yeah, and provided funding around that. So that was really about making sure that those people also had support because they didn't, there was no you know, homelessness services couldn't work with them. Yeah. Uh, most of them, and because they had a tenancy, and most services that provided support in a tenancy wouldn't go onto the street, and they weren't eligible for housing support because they had a house. Yeah. Um, so it was literally like they were in just the biggest gap you could possibly imagine. Yeah. So I think that highlights probably why you're one of the first choices for this interview series in the Courage to Lead. You must. You can't achieve that without some serious skills to talk to the right people, to influence people, to have a relationship with them, to put the evidence in front of them, to get a government to change their policy. So, how did you? How did you learn that? <laughs> well, you're right. It is a little bit relational. I think so. You do form relationships with different people, and I, I guess. Um, you know I am generally I'm probably I feel at times that I might be a bit of a thorn in the side of the um, state government <laughs> but but at the same time you know I don't care because I'm just happy that you know I have the courage as you say to actually st stand up and say this is, this does need to change and I think one of the things I'm most passionate about at the moment and um, is the other cohort of people that we found sleeping rough that weren't eligible for government support during the pandemic and that was non-resident people or anybody who didn't have permanent residency. So there was a whole cohort, big cohort of people during COVID that weren't eligible because they were New Zealand citizens, asylum seekers, undocumented people, temporary visa holders of yeah. some description. Yeah, mm. okay. Pretty um, serious skills, and probably again, uh, like Erin Longbottom, the team, you know, the nursing manager leader of the St. Vincent's Homeless Health Team, doesn't get any kudos for that. For all those conversations, you it's all about helping someone most vulnerable get a home or get support. So, it's quite um, that's another reason why I wanted you to, uh, to be the first uh, kind of leader we interviewed on this program because it's not about you, it's about helping someone else, which is a pretty big skill. And it's traditionally, like, not the job of a nurse either no. to do these things. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yes. definitely, um, this is very different, and it's about advocacy and recognising a need and, I guess, highlighting it and raising awareness and advocating 
but I think the um, it's also the fact that I work for an organisation that has a very strong focus on the mission and values and support me 100%. Uh, you know, the, the hospital, St. Vincent's Hospital, that this is their bread and butter. Yeah. You know, they they love this um, yeah. and they'll support support me with it as well. So I'm very fortunate to have to be within this organisation. I think you. I think they they were on a winner with you anyway. They, I think you're being very modest there. Um, you kind of segued me into something um, as you were talking about the collaboration and your teams going out into the field and how oh, I think you said how upsetting it can be, how challenging it can be. And 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 right at the start, you said that um, you came out uh, to your family. I think um, and from what I've heard in other interviews you needed some mental health support than yourself. Um, uh, but how do you stay on top of some of the harrowing things you see as the nursing unit manager of the homeless health team? I, I imagine there's some pretty vicarious, um, traumatic things that you see. How do you look after your own health? And then how do you look after the health and well-being of your people? Yeah, well, you'd know all about that, I assume, Alan. <laughs> Being a police officer for many years, it's, it is, I think, it is a job that is, there is a high incidence of vicarious trauma and burnout. Um, so my ethos is, yes, I need to lead and I need to show vulnerability I need to show that I cry and get upset when things happen or I, I do, I still get emotional about hearing people's stories and, or when there's a good news story. And I think it's just so important to be, to lead in that way. Um, I think it's really important to lead in that, you know, you do reach out for help when you need it, um, that you access good clinical supervision, that you access counselling if you need it. Um, can, can it's you, good role modelling to can, talk about that. Can you give a... I mean, I don't... You can say no to this this question because it's pretty personal. Can you um, give an example of where you've had where you've had to do that for yourself and you, and you were quite open about it with your team? Well, I mean, I think it's an expectation that we all do do it. Um, we have monthly, at least monthly, clinical supervision. Um, so it's pretty honest and open, but I do have a lot of, you know, in terms of we all know that we do do that and we do a lot of peer supervision as well and group supervision. But I think um, we also, you know, there's a lot of, you know, procedures in the hospital around debriefing and things like that. But I would say I do on a one-on-one -on -one basis would talk about it with my team if, um, you know, like if, they're going through something difficult, I do say, I do talk about access to, to counselling. We do have, like, obviously free counselling for team members, the Employee assistant program, Assistance Program, so I really yeah. encourage people to use that. But I think more than just that alone, because um, I feel like that, you know, you can use that proactively. Um, you don't have to use it after you're already in a crisis. Yes, yeah. I feel like the other part of being proactive is to have fun, to not have too many rules, yeah. to be flexible, to encourage people to take breaks, 
to go on holiday, to finish early, um, finish on time, yeah. make sure that, you know, we laugh. Um, laughter is just amazing and, and having strong relationships with each other. Um, and I think COVID really built those relationships too because we had to trust each other with our lives almost, yeah. you know, like it was we were going into very, very difficult situations together. And I think, you know, it's like you, I think that's almost just as important is that amazing, as much as you can in a government organization, organization have flexible sort of caring, funny workplaces where you can, you know, I treat people like adults. Yeah. They are adults and they can, and giving people the, the independence and autonomy to manage their own days and have trust in people and be there for people when they need you, but not to be too involved. One, that's, um, um, they don't. That's, um, you kind of, that's why I, you're number one on the, on the interview series. So you're, you're essentially empowering your people to do their best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's more important because you're stopping people from getting to burnout if you do those strategies. Yeah. Can you give me an yeah. example of um, a fun thing? You, you talked about having fun. What's, what, <laughs> what, what's, what is that? What's, that? what's that look like for a boss that's never thought about it before? <laughs> well, I mean, I... <laughs> I don't know if I can tell people some of the things that we do. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I think, you know, part of um, what just, sorry, I'm, I'm stuttering over my words because I'm trying to think of something That's all right. no? that translate well. Um, but I think one of the things that I look back on that we used to do during COVID um, because obviously we were in lockdown and when, when we got to the phase where we could go on picnics, um, we could, you know, it was picnic, um, it was like lockdown, but you could have picnics. Yeah. 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 And we've just been having this really intense time and we used to, on a Friday often we would end up, um, going and doing COVID testing and then we'd come back we'd put everything away and then we'd go and buy some beers from the local um, uh, wine cellar just near the hospital and we'd all sit out on the grass in a big circle physically distance and just just really quickly just have one or two drinks and just have a laugh and a chat and just spend time Beautiful. not talking about COVID. Beautiful. And I think that was just so amazing. Like I still think of that because I think, it was just such a different level of connection and it gave us it gave us connection in a time where we you know it was really intense and obviously we couldn't see a lot of people that we loved and yeah. you know it was really it was beautiful it's cool. lovely beautiful yeah. and i can tell just how genuine you are about it. that's i mean that's perfect so i'm conscious uh, I, I could talk to you for another couple of hours but i know you've got to go to a, a conference in another half an hour um so let's just um uh what let's finish let's start to wrap it up mm-hmm. what what is what would be some of the long-term goals of you and your team your homelessness uh medical outreach team what's what's the goals going forward so i think the goal is that well obviously ending homelessness would be incredible and not 
having a need for a homeless health service, that would be amazing. <laughs> I think that would that's going to be very difficult to achieve. I mean, sadly, I don't know if that'll happen in my lifetime, but we can make a difference and we can start that trajectory. I, you know, I mean, I guess a lot of it is um, the interrelation between health and homelessness. Obviously, poor health leads to homelessness and homelessness leads to poor health. And it really is so intertwined that, you know, we do have to work so closely with uh, wine range of stakeholders to actually ensure that we're addressing both of those things at the same time. Yeah. So I think the goal really for me from a health perspective is improving health equity for people and the injustice. So removing all the systemic barriers for people to actually accessing healthcare um, because at the moment people can't. And that's the sad truth of it. The health system is complicated. It's, there's so many flaws in it. Um, and it's very, very difficult for people experiencing homelessness to access healthcare. So what we want to do is find new and innovative ways to support people to access healthcare, but also to house people because housing people is also a health initiative as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard to do that without affordable housing. So obviously, you know, that's a really big advocacy point too. Yeah. Um, so probably just tell people where you are today, like you're going to leave me to go to a homelessness conference with the national, the federal minister for homelessness, aren't you? Is that where you are today? Yes. Uh, uh, yep, she's opening it, Julie okay. Collins. Beautiful. So it's a, so part of your role, goals going forward is, is having those connections with the, with the right people. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're pretty well there, really. I, I there's so many things I could ask you, but um, what do you do to empower your people now in in those goals that you just said? How how does the this will be the last question? How does the St Vincent's Homeless uh, Medical Health Team um, go towards achieving those goals of like end, ending homelessness? Um, reducing the barriers to people to getting into the health system? Well, we do have this um, amazing new service that we've just started, which is a mobile clinic. Uh, it's a new thing for us and we're still feeling our way through it. But really what we are aiming to do with the clinic is provide um, really specialised healthcare, which hasn't been done before uh, in Sydney anyway. Uh, in terms of, you know, chronic disease management um, and looking at um, real specialist services in the, in the clinic. We have amazing telehealth capacity, so that will enable us to be able to telehealth specialists and things like that for people, and it provides a really sort of um, safe and dignified environment for people to come in and access healthcare. So we're really just slowly rolling that out. And I think that's given new life to the team too, because it's a new service and we can see real value in it. Um, and the fact that we've got buy-in from the hospital, the different departments of the hospital as well, in terms of putting different services in there. It's really just trying to bring hospital services to the people rather than them having to come to the hospital services because it's so difficult for people to access. Beautiful. 
Last question. I said that, I told you that one would be the last question. But so this this question is about um, leaders with the courage to virtually lead in the way you, that you do, um, empower, creating an environment that's fun, creating an environment where people feel supported and empowered and trusted. Basically, how does um, how does a leader achieve that? How, what what would be your advice to someone that wanted to lead in the way that you enjoy leading? Well, I think the way that I've always thought about it is what did I want to see in a leader and what did I, how, and I've taken little bits and pieces of all the people that I've known in the past that I've admired or that has made me, um, I think, who I am as well. Mm. Uh, And I have had great leaders uh, in the past. I've had terrible leaders. We all have. Yeah. Um, often, you know, I think, and I do think that's what it is. In the end, you ask yourself, how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be led? How, and my priority is always to my team. Um, they are the most important thing to me. And I, I respect the you know, the things I need to achieve and I expect, uh, respect the hospital and, and my leaders within the hospital, but my true loyalty and care and passion is for the people that I work with because they're incredible. And I think, um, I'm just being, um, you know, just being really invested in them because if you're invested in them, you'll get the best out of them and just always listening um, being responsive and I think you know you, you know within yourself I think the way you'd want to be treated and that's how you should treat other people as well and I think that's what I'd always think of I think if I was in this situation what would I need what would I want and I'm not always going to get it right because I don't to be honest sometimes I get frustrated I have good days I have bad days but also owning that yeah. sometimes if I have a Spoke, speak to my team and or if I speak to a team member and I'm a bit frustrated or tired or whatever and I'm just or I don't have the space in my head to deal with something sometimes I do have to go to them after and say look I'm really sorry you know and own it um, yeah. and just say look let's discuss it again or you know so it's just I think it's a working relationship um that you have with people it's not being someone's boss but it is also people do need a leader I think so, you know, it can, you can't be 100% lateral because you do need to lead and I do need to lead. Um, because yeah, that, that's just, otherwise we wouldn't be achieving the things we're achieving. I think. Yeah. Great answer, Erin. That's my last question. Can I say, mm, I feel like I went around in circles. No, there, no, sorry, no, Ellen. no, no. <laughs> uh, I think, um, a very human and, um, uh, very kind and uh, beautiful answer, really. So, and very genuine. I think um, uh, what, what, what I quite often hear is people respond to an authentic leader, and that's you gave an authentic answer. Uh, so, um, can I say thank you for the privilege of um, you letting me interview you today? Thank you for being the first person on the Courage to Lead interview series, and um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and I'm looking forward to listening to it myself because you've got some beautiful answers, and I wish you all the best. Uh, with your 
your conference today and I wish you all the best um, with your long-term goals because I'm, I'm like you. If um, with the right people, we can, we can end homelessness um, uh, with the right commitment to it. So well done to you. Thank you for being out there looking after our most vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. All the Thank best. you for taking the time too and for listening. No, that was beautiful. Thank you. Ta. Right, have a good, have a good day. Bye.